We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want Got my mask on. You got your mask on? I gotta record this for, you know, for uh, for my records. Well, well everybody in the draft room is listening to you. Um, we kind of like this D tackle from Houston, Ed Oliver. What do you think? Oh, Ed Oliver? Hell yeah, baby. I love it. <laughs> I love it. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you over here in the speakerphone. You gotta tell our rep who's in Nashville, all right? All right, Ed Oliver. Here we go, Pancho, tell Jeff who we want. Our Buffalo Bills. Juan Ed Oliver from Houston. Viva Los Bills, baby. Ooh, welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That is my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was General Manager Brandon Bean and Ezra Castro from BuffaloBills.com. Guys, to kick off the show tonight, I, I just want to say a few words here about... Um, but Mr. Ezra Castro, according to Google, loss is defined as the state or feeling of grief when deprived of something or someone of value. Last week, it was announced by his family that Mr. Ezra Castro, Buffalo Bills superfan who goes with the moniker Pancho Bila, had passed away. Stage four metastatic adenocarcinoma, Chris, it's a mouthful. Fought it for over a year. And finally, just his health failed. And he just couldn't fight anymore. And it was kind of a bittersweet thing for anybody who watched him struggle or have watched people they know and love go down that same road. And for anybody who'd gotten a chance to meet him or had the chance to just hear him talk about his passion for a lot of different things in life, including his football team. I mean, that's, Chris, that's what brings us here to this table every single week. The fact that we love this football team. And it was apparent that he held it, that he had it. It drove him. Now, outsiders who don't understand being a Bills fan, they can say a lot of things about us. 
that were stupid for ever thinking that the Bills are going to hoist the Lombardi. There were just a bunch of ill-behaved masochists with drinking problems. And I'd probably agree with a little bit of that. But there's a there's just so much more positivity and perseverance that goes on here that most people outside of this thing that we have here, they'll never get to see. Whether it's families who are supported by charitable 26-shirt campaigns. Chris, how many different people have been helped by those? And it's fueled by sports fans here. Yeah, they do it, uh, they do it a lot. And then, spoiler alert, if you remember from end of last season, I told you about my friend's daughter who's suffering from a, a brain tumor. She's going to be up for uh, 26 shirts uh, towards the end of summer. And, and, I mean, you look at all the support that Jim Kelly and his family have gotten over the last, 30, what, 20, 30 years from this fan base? He never we, left. We might not be the classiest group of people, but we rally around other people, especially those in need. We try to pick people up when they need it. And despite everything the world got to see about him and the outpouring of support for the team and fellow fans, people all over the world... Sent Ezra positivity and all the stuff that he, the support he got throughout this entire struggle of his. The thing that struck me about him was just how Ezra kept thinking about other people. And I, I can't sit here and uh, I'm trying not to make this sound like a eulogy, like we were best friends, or give you guys some profound explanation of what he means to the average Bills fan, the franchise as a super fan, et cetera, et cetera. We were lucky enough to have gotten to meet him. And what I appreciate is what I saw with my own two eyes, Chris. First of all, back at the beginning of last year, we, you know, we had him on the show and we offered to, I, you know, we donated to his GoFundMe and I told him that we were going to send them some money so that the Dale, to buy his, his chapter of the Bills backers a round of shots for the first Bills touchdown. And obviously that didn't happen. But he was more excited that we were doing something positive for his group down there than he was about the prospect of us donating to his personal fund. And that struck me. He was genuinely just floored by the fact that we thought about him and his friends instead of just him. And then, Chris, when we got to meet him, when we got to meet him at the home opener, one of the things that struck me was He's he's there, and there's people just all over the place who want to get to meet him. And his girlfriend is running around handling everything for him. The setup, communicating with the team, trying to figure out his timetables, communicating with these different groups of people that he had to go do photo shoots with. He he didn't get as caught up in all the glad-handing and all the, you know, reveling in the fact that people were showing up to see him as... He did kind of keeping an eye on his girlfriend and just constantly reminding her to sit down, take take a break, get some water, it's hot out here. It was almost like he was trying to take care of her, even though she was trying to take care of him. And his approach to his, I mean, Chris, that, uh, just another instance of a guy who, he should be thinking about himself, but he's not. His approach to his cancer, too. I mean, unflappable. Just maintained an air of confidence even to the end. And even in his death, you know, his, knowing what he was leaving behind, knowing that his kids, you know, whatever their situation may be, instead of asking for personal donations, he asked that people donate to this backpack fundraiser to help out other families in the area down there in Texas. I mean, 
every opportunity at every turn when he could have been self-absorbed, he, 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 he wasn't. And when he could have crumbled in the face of his own mortality, he believed and he tried to persevere. And when he could have been selfish, nobody would have faulted him. I, he gave. Chris, he gave me something. I'm wearing it right now. The morning we met him at last season's home opener, you know, we joked around with him about how, you know, his appearances on all these radio shows and podcasts and how it was kind of a whirlwind thing for him and about how he was pretty sure he, he wasn't articulate enough to ever make a living out of public speaking. And I did, we joked around and then he handed me one of these Poncho Power bracelets and shook my hand and thanked me and you for having, having the wherewithal to think of his friends. And it was just, it, I don't know, Chris, it struck me. It struck a chord in me. Because again, here's a guy who is going through one of the worst things anybody can imagine, and he's still focused on other people. I'm not a bracelet guy. This is the only one I own, and I, I rarely wear it. But it sits on my dresser, right next to my favorite picture of my wife and I from our wedding day. And when things come up in my life that cause me to doubt my composure, I mean, I just had one this past week, and it was tough. <laughs> I just look at them both as reminders. You know, one of them is a reason why I'm going to find a way to overcome and persevere whatever's in front of me. And the other is a reminder that people have done it before. People have done it, and it's possible. Now, I understand what a positive icon Pancho Bila, and the, you know, the, with the costume and the, the, the selfies and the video <laughs> compilations, what he's been over the years and in you know, recent time. How much did the rest of this fan base loved the persona of Pancho Villa? And none of this is meant to take away from the super fan, the guy who showed up on game day all decked out in his gear and who traveled to follow the team around the country and who was a class act and represented our fan base so well on a national stage, especially a fan base like ours, that Chris, let's face it, there's not a whole lot of positivity out there about our fan base. No, not at all. But for me, personally, I'd like to think that if there's anything that we can take away from his passing, it's that we all might try to find a little bit more of what made the man underneath all of that special, inside of ourselves, a little more often than we did before. The world needs more people like Ezra Castro, not fewer. And so it's, it's with his passing that not just the Buffalo Bills as a fan base, but the entire world really has experienced the definition of a loss. Chris? Hey. Cheers to Ezra. Here's to Ezra. Pancho Bila. <sighs> Folks. All right. Ah, it's been two long weeks, guys. It's been two long weeks without podcasting. And I'll tell you, I... When I was writing my notes for that, I... I my wife kept looking at me. She was sitting on the couch and she kept asking me, she's like, are, are you okay? What's wrong with you? And I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and act like I was best friends with the man, but there's something about him and his story that just get me. And like I said, it's just a lot to think about. It's a lot to carry with you. And it's been a weird two weeks without this podcast. I mean, Chris, walk me through this. What is a, a life in the week, a week in the life of Chris Krueger like without podcasting? What is what the hell do you do with your spare time? Well, it's nice. I mean, I know you guys don't like it when we don't podcast, but it's nice to 
take a break for the summer and go every other week, kind of recharge your batteries for the end of July, early August when we go back to weekly shows for what seems like an eternity. But in the summer, you know, I play in three, I'm on three hockey teams this summer. So, you know, most of my week is consumed by playing hockey. <laughs> hey, that's not a bad way to spend it. I mean, and, and look at your life. You rent, so you don't have any of the issues with homeownership. Meanwhile, I'm out hungover fighting a garage door repair job, just chewing my way through that because I'm an idiot who decided that that was a good idea. And of course, it's 80 degrees out. The first time it's 80 degrees in months, I'm out in my garage sweating my ass off, hungover, wondering why I even bothered getting out of bed that morning. Yeah, well, you do need to lose the weight. <laughs> oh, so folks, it's... <laughs> Chris, here's, I guess, my other question. Would you say that you drink more, less, or the same now that we're not doing a weekly podcast? Uh, probably the same. I mean, NHL playoffs have been going on, so, of course, I'm sitting on the couch, you know, watching playoff games, drinking. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't, you're a crazy person if you can sit and watch sports without an alcoholic beverage. Like, I don't, I don't understand those people. I don't want to know to, to understand them. I cannot sit and watch a friggin' game, whether it's golf, hockey, basketball. I don't watch basketball, football, curling. I need a goddamn drink in my hand. <laughs> I concur, sir. I concur. <laughs> I mean, hockey, I can do hockey because it's usually a weeknight. There's so many games that if I drank during all of them, I'd be a mess. I'd never get anything done. But, yeah, yeah, sports without a beer are tough. And you know what's funny? I saw today on Twitter a list, Chris, impromptu. I saw a list, and it was from Chris Trapasso, former uh, editor over at Buffalo Rumblings, now works for CBS Sports. He tweeted out a list of his 10 favorite beer-drinking scenarios. What are your three favorite beer-drinking scenarios? Obviously, watching sports is probably number one. I like having a beer after a hockey game. Okay. Um, and probably, I mean, I haven't done it in a while, uh, but it's always nice to play golf and drink. Okay. Okay. And if you had to pick a third one, what's your third favorite beer drinking scenario? Probably driving. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> drive. Folks, he's a Lyft driver. He can't drink a beer and drive at the same time. We all know that's nonsense. For me, I, I was told that this doesn't fly. But for me, my first one is anytime you can be shirtless with a beer. Whether it's the shower, whether it's out in your backyard, whether you're on a boat or the beach. Anytime you're shirtless and have a beer, your life is probably pretty sweet. Things are probably pretty great. Second would have to be the post-yard work, post-yard work beer or home project beer. You know, that first one that you get right after you get done. Have you been stuck just, in the garage? Just cussing your way through something. <laughs> yeah. You sit down and have that first beer. It tastes better than the next seven that are going to come after it. And the third one has to be tailgate beers. There's some, I'm not a stadium beer guy. I don't, I'm not paying $12.50 for a, a glass of beer. That's nonsense. No, I don't, think, I don't think I bought a beer at all last season. No, because you shouldn't. You'd be an idiot for doing so. But there's something about that first two beers when you get to the tailgate. Those first two drinks, those are the best. The best usually because they're before 7 a.m., and there's nowhere else on earth that drinking before 7 a.m. is acceptable except at a tailgate. Folks, 
Thank you for bearing with us while we take these little hiatuses now, these, this bi-weekly format. I think it's going to be good for everybody. Good for us, good for you. And with that, we want to head into this week's Bill's News Update. I almost wish this wasn't news. I almost wish we didn't have to talk about this. The reassignment of O.J. Simpson's number has people losing their minds. The NBA and NHL playoffs and the and what is the early part of an absurdly long baseball season clearly aren't enough to keep sports writers and radio personalities busy, apparently, Chris. That's literally the only way something like this becomes a national story. That's it. I mean, you want to talk about slow days. What there's playoffs going on in other sports, and yet there's there are people on ESPN at Fox Sports, at NFL Network, WGR, apparently, across across the, the local area and across the country who are taking time out of their day to debate the fact that the Buffalo Bills recently gave uh, running back Senoris Perry number 32. He requested it, and they're going to give it to him. And it was last worn by a guy some of you might remember by a name of Orenthal, who may or may not have had some uh, off-the-field issues, we'll call them. You know, nothing major. <laughs> right, Chris? Oh, yeah. Do you, uh, here, I'll read you this meme. Do you ever see this thing? Uh, reminder, the Buffalo Bills barely lost the game in 1970 by missing on a bad pass for a touchdown. The loss allowed them to get the first pick in the draft where they took O.J. Simpson. O.J. lived in Buffalo where he met his wife, Nicole, and then allegedly killed her. He then hired Robert Kardashian to be his lawyer. They won the case, making the Kardashians somewhat famous. Then Kim drops a sex tape, becomes famous. So basically, the 1970 Buffalo Bills are the reason we have to deal with the Kardashians today because if they would have won that one game, they wouldn't have uh, picked OJ. Then he wouldn't have never met Nicole, thus uh, had the chance to kill her, preventing the entire Kardashian family from ever being a sliver of a subject in modern culture. Damn you, Buffalo Bills. Damn you. Jesus, that's a wormhole. Yeah. What the hell just happened? Well, yeah, the Bills are, and O.J. Simpson are the reason the Kardashians are famous. You're welcome, America. See, but but that right there, as absurd as that sounds, is just as absurd as the fact that we're debating them giving out somebody's number. I mean, what the hell are we talking about here? Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Chris, first... Every single NFL franchise has Hall of Fame players whose jersey numbers aren't retired, okay? First and foremost, it's not a foreign concept. The Bears have 34 Hall of Fame players. If they had all of their jerseys retired, they would have to start giving their players ridiculous triple-digit jerseys on defense. That's that's where we would be headed. (laughs) So for anyone out there who says that he deserves deserved to have his number retired. Guess what? Shit happens. I deserve to have perfectly straight teeth. Okay, but as a teenager, I outrightly refused braces on the principle that I thought I'd look like an idiot. Sometimes in life, you make shit decisions and you deal with the consequences of those for the rest of your life. That's how it works. It's what it is. So when you make poor choices and an NFL team says, nah, we don't really want to retire this number, you deal with that. Everyone needs to deal with it. Shit happens. Okay? 
I like that he he like I think Perry mentioned something about like family or something with wanting to have thirty two. I think he probably just rolls up to like OTAs to have the facility in like a white Bronco. He's probably he's probably just a huge OJ fan. Really, Jesus. that's why he wants thirty two. You know, I, and I was told by someone who, again, somebody whose opinion on sports I respect, that you know the team should have. The team, quote unquote, should have handled this better because apparently they, they, they should have quietly retired his number and just never given it out again to avoid the story. Chris, I think they're avoiding the story right now by giving it away, showing that it has no value to this franchise. They took the number. They, I, I get it. He accomplished a whole bunch of shit back in the day when nobody remembers it. If you want to show that you as a franchise have moved on from it, you give the number away. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid because you're only going to have to have that conversation one time. And if you as a franchise ignore it, take the high road. Don't respond. Just say, look, we have no idea what you guys are talking about. It's a number. We gave it out. It's no more special than any other number that we give away. Right there. You've killed the story. Yeah. You're not beholden to this PC culture that wants to make a, a riot about everything. My thing is... Okay, yeah, the, he apparently got the number for o, OTAs in the offseason. What makes you think that come September there's going to be a number 32 on the team? Well, and that's it. And, and also, th this concept that, oh, wow, this is going to be a story. This is going to be a story all through training camp, and people are going to keep talking about it, and it's going to be a problem. Chris, how much shit happens off the field in the NFL to these players and these coaches and these owners? There's some who may or may not frequent uh, the old Robin Tug. That don't become stories that hurt the team on the field because they have the leadership to just not let it be a thing. Yeah. That's how good teams operate. Yeah. So to that end, I think this whole thing is its much ado about nothing. I mean, the dumbest thing that I've seen put to print, okay? Mike Florio pens an article for Pro Football Talk expressing surprise over the fact that current Bills players had no reaction to the decision to give out O.J. Simpson's number. Why would they, Chris? It's not like any of them knew a damn thing about O.J. Simpson. Look at this. The last time O.J. touched a football, ESPN was airing for the very first time. It was 1979. ESPN had just aired for the very first time. Gas was 86 cents, and a Sony Walkman cost $200. And the YMCA was suing the village people for libel. I'm assuming they weren't a fan of the assless chaps look. <laughs> Everyone gets on LaShawn McCoy for being old. When O.J. Simpson went to trial in 1995, LaShawn McCoy had just enrolled in kindergarten. Senoris Perry wasn't even in preschool yet. <laughs> I mean, Chris, the only cultural impact O.J. Simpson had on the lives of pretty much everyone who's currently on our roster, just looking at their ages, was the Chewbacca defense episode of South Park. That's it. That's the only thing that O.J. Simpson really had to do with their lives. So why would a bunch of kids who never saw the guy play, never knew much about him other than the negative aspects of his history, give a shit about his number being back on the field? Well, I think the, the only player on the, the, the Bills that has anything to do with, with O.J. Simpson would be Frank Gore. I think he was his backup in 79. <laughs> he might have been. All I know is, folks, and listen to me when I say this. 
I know that pretty much everything going on with sports right now is is lame. But for the love of God, can we let non-stories like this die? Just let it die. <laughs> Luckily, there was some good news this week, Chris. Jerry Hughes re-ups with the Buffalo Bills. I mean, Chris, it was good for my sanity to finally have something else to talk about because as I'm sitting there on the couch and we're thinking, I'm putting together this rundown and I'm going, what the fuck are we going to talk about? And oh, you're like, OJ. OJ, <laughs> shit. It's like a frying pan in the face right there. And then Jerry Hughes, they announced on Tuesday that Jerry Hughes, he's signed a two-year contract extension. I think this is a huge win for the team on a number of levels. First, there's the philosophical angle of the extension. I mean, it really seems to bother former Buffalo news writer Jerry Sullivan, which right off the top makes it a win because that's really fucking entertaining. I, I would tell you that you could listen to him complain about it on whatever obscure radio show he's doing now. But at this point, I feel like he could get, like, more people would hear his ideas if he were to, instead of broadcasting them on his radio show, if he were to get a megaphone and drive around the parking lot of the Niagara Falls outlet malls and just yell his opinions at people. Chris, true or false, probably more listeners that way. Yeah, and I think you had a fun time just reading the former Buffalo News writer Jerry Sullivan <laughs> and his stupid opinions. Uh, I, I mean, if it wasn't for Twitter, we would probably assume he had taken up basket weaving or was still doing a podcast with Bucky out of a garage somewhere. So, seriously, when you look at the Bills roster next season, Mike Love was slated to be the only defensive end under contract. Hello, I've never heard of you before. Exactly, Chris. Exactly. For a team that's trying to build and is trying to move forward, you know, year over year, you're trying to create this, you're growing towards something. The last thing you want to do is head into a season where a major piece of your defense, your defensive ends, is suddenly being manned by three to four brand new faces with no familiarity to the scheme or with the guys playing around them. And in terms of four, three defensive ends, fans will probably recall watching the different ways we've tried to solve the defensive end number two problem, it's been a hole ever since Mario Williams left town. I mean, I got a list here of guys who have tried to fill in just as just since Sean McDermott's been here at that position. We've had Eddie Yarbrough, Shaq Lawson, Ryan Davis, Trent Murphy, some guy named Cap Cappy who was like a linebacker, but he played down in the line sometimes. I mean, Chris, we've rotated through people, one of whom's a first-round draft pick, one of whom's an unrestricted free agent, and one of whom was an undra- was a unrestricted free agent signing. We still don't have a legitimate number two defensive end. I think the two-year extension gives the Bills time to find Hughes' replacement, and then hopefully number two. Well, I think I think next draft, when next offseason, when we go through our draft series, I think again we're going to end on the D line. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, you think about it, this year it was being flirted with as an idea. You know, the Montez Sweats of the world and the, um, who were some of the other defensive end prospects out there? Rashawn Gary. There were some other names being floated around out there that the Bills could potentially be looking at should Ed Oliver have not fallen to us. And it's, Chris, it's incredibly likely that if Ed Oliver wasn't falling, if he had gone earlier, Brandon Bean might have, he said there, there was talk with teams about trading back. And when they found out that Ed Oliver was might fall, they decided to stand pat. If that happens, you might be talking about us trading out of the top 10 altogether and taking a Montez sweat somewhere in the teens. 
You know what yeah. I mean? And then picking up another D tackle with like an extra second that you get. So wouldn't wouldn't you have wanted like I mean I don't have the draft results in front of me right now, but wouldn't you rather throw back the singletary pick and maybe take a flyer on a D end I'm in still the too, third round? I'm still too raw to talk about that singletary <laughs> singletary pick. I can't maybe once training camp gets started and I see the kid run a little bit, but right now I'm just still too angry about it. I can't talk about it. <laughs> I can't bring it up. Oh Jesus. Seriously, you know, moving forward, there's going to be an investment of capital at the position, but you don't want to be starting from complete scratch. You can't do that if you want to have any kind of success at the position, especially when you look at the fact that we've tried a bunch of things to fix that, and none of them have really worked to a degree. I mean, Shaq Lawson hasn't panned out to the point that we didn't pick up his fifth-year option. That underscores it right there. There's a former first-round draft pick Albeit, he wasn't drafted to fit this scheme. But he's a former first-round draft pick that also can't help make an impact. Enough that you don't need to fix it still. So, I don't know. I think that since we have the money, we would be stupid not to make this kind of a move. And I guess it's the other angle to it. The financial reasons it makes sense. There's not a whole lot known yet, or at least as of this recording, is how, how the salary is going to be split up. But it's worth noting that even if he were going to make every cent of his guaranteed money next season, which comes in at like $19.5 million, I believe, he still wouldn't be in the top three for highest paid defensive ends. So the value on that is pretty good. Especially when you take a look at what's coming up in one of the weakest undrafted... Uh, I keep saying undrafted free agent, Chris, because I see the D and the E and the U and... Bunch of letters. Just yeah. a bunch of letters. Defensive end. Unrestricted free agents. <laughs> it might be one of the weakest classes we've seen in a long time. I mean, before franchise tags, this is what the field is going to look like for players younger or with more tread on the tires than Jerry Hughes. You're going to have Vic Beasley, who literally has one good season, and everything else he's done has been mediocre. Carl Nassib, who has kind of bounced around. Geno Grissom. Dante Fowler Jr., former first, former top five pick that's bounced around. Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Ugba, who the team could have traded for this year and opted not to, and Yannick Ngakwe from the Jaguars. They, there's literally only two Pro Bowl nominations amongst that entire field of players, but they're all going to get paid much more than fair market value because that's how NFL free agency works. You know? I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Ngakwe doesn't, if he doesn't get a massive contract, he gets franchise tagged because he's a great pass rusher. So, I mean, Chris, what do you like more? The idea of having Hughes at an average annual value of $9.5 million a year or anybody on that list making, we'll call it $12 million a year. I will take Jerry Hughes all day long. I know what I'm getting. Well, absolutely. And I think that the, and knowing what you're getting is the other side of the coin with this whole financial aspect. Because you're paying that $9.5 million on an annual value. I mean, I'm sick of these tropes regarding his attitude, his penalty history, you know, because of the, the Jerry Sullivans of the world, we'll call them. This guy has been a standout for a team that doesn't have a whole lot of standout players. Even though the average fan lacks an appreciation for him. I mean, I'm looking at the statistics. I kind of poured over it a little bit. He had, okay, so 20 sacks in 2013 and 2014. Remember the, the cold front defense? 
when they had yes. Mario Williams and a productive Marcel Darius and they had Kyle Williams when he was still in his prime. He still managed to have five or more sacks in all but one season despite playing in a poorly coached scheme and with underachieving talent placed around him. He's played 16 games for six straight years. Where does that that durability alone? That's very very impressive. For for a defensive end, that is impressive. For tackles and guards falling on your legs, 16 games for six years, sign me up. And then as he gets older, he has yet to truly decline. 2019, he had the highest quarterback pressure rate in the NFL for edge defenders. More than D. Ford, more than Khalil Mack. And those players both just signed fat contracts. Fat contracts. He had seven sacks, despite playing next to a defensive tackle group that had five. As a whole group. And all of them belonged to Kyle Williams. Chris, it's horrible. It's a horrible... Yeah. Why do you getting, think we drafted Ed Oliver? You're getting no A-gap pressure. I mean, you want to know why our sack totals weren't higher, yet you have a defensive end who led the NFL in pressure percentage? Well, it's because your defensive tackles aren't very good. <laughs> that's, that's it. And then he posted 13 tackles for a loss and 18 quarterback hits, which were tops on the entire roster. Chris, he will never be seen as the engine that makes our defensive line makes our defensive line move. But he's sure as hell a talented player that not only deserves the money he just got paid, I'd argue he's underpaid still. When you look at what he actually tangibly produces, and he's been a steady presence on our line while everybody else around him just kind of sucks or has been mediocre. You know, obviously, Star Latule, you're not asking him to be a pass rusher, but you need somebody else next to him to help. We've, we just read off the list of defensive end number twos that we've rotated through over the past two years. None of them are the answer. None of them are produced. What do we have? We have one guy who's been a steady presence on that line. Now, he might have arguably the most talent around him that he's had in years. I mean, which is depressing, but at the same time, that's a positive. It just underscores why this signing was important. You know, you keep him around while you continue to flesh out the rest of the roster around him. And you do it at what is essentially a bargain price. Chris, Julian Edelman's three-year extension that he... More money than we just paid Jerry Hughes. Well, I mean, that's different positions. An old PED-using wide receiver got paid more than the most reliable defensive line player on our team. That's not a, that's not a, a, a good comp. It's different positions. Look, but even then, no, well, no. Look, no. Look up Kelvin Shepard's contract. <laughs> I think he works at Home Depot, Chris. I, I'm pretty sure that his. If you were to find Kelvin Shepard's contract right now, it it would read his position title would be uh, shift lead over at uh, <laughs> over at Guy's Lumber. <laughs> yeah, he's the floor manager in the lumber department at Home Depot. Ah, uh, Jesus, <laughs> folks. Like it or not, this is a great deal for the Buffalo Bills, and I'm really excited that they got it done because it's going to bring some sort of continuity to the front seven. Well, I mean, young linebackers, that they have time. You know, they have time before they have to pay any of these guys. They have a young secondary who, I mean, some of the guys are getting paid now. Some of the guys are shortly going to need to be paid. 
but you have to get something going on that defensive line. And if this is the, you know, if, if this is the move that gets you at least held over with adequate performance until you can bring in game-changing defensive ends around him, this is the absolute right move. And I think it's a really savvy one by Brandon B. <sighs> Chris, we've reached that point of the year where there is literally nothing going on in football. What I tell, what I tell you before we started recording? Oh, we're going to talk about the jet sweep and why uh, Christian Wade is the man for the job. Gah! You people! You people drive me fucking insane! Okay, here's, here's what we have left in the tank for you, folks. The 2019 Buffalo Bills OTAs and minicamp just got underway. The offseason program is here and it's in full swing over at One Bills Drive. How do I know this? Because my Twitter feed and Facebook notifications have been filling up with posts and clips of guys in shorts running routes against air or catching balls with no defense in front of them and some way, way too aggressive and way too early debate over who's practicing ahead of whom, what it might mean for the depth chart. Chris, I refer back to the O.J. Simpson conversation. What the fuck are we talking about? You're talking about... What? Folks, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't care how good Josh Allen looks playing uncontested games of catch with wide receivers. I don't care. Don't show me that. It has no value to me. I don't care who's lining up at third string corner or where Spencer Long is taking reps in seven-on-seven drills. Call me a cynic. I, I just can't bring myself to give a damn about it. Any of it. And when people try talking to me about it or get themselves all worked up over, oh, oh did you see? Today, J- John Feliciano was at center. I mean, I wonder what that means. Well, what could it mean? What could it mean for the long-term outlook? They didn't let Spencer Long take any snaps. I wonder if he's still a center. Wide receiver, Robert Foster, isn't running with the ones. What is happening? I compare them in my head. <laughs> I equate them as a real-life equivalent of assistant coach Butts trying to spy on the kids working out their plays in the movie Little Giants. This is incredible. They got the guards in the backfield. They, they, they got the center to the right. And, and the quarterback isn't even there. They're standing around, butts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't be that guy, folks. Nobody likes that guy. Remember... Trying to decipher an entire depth chart is meaningless until training camp. And anybody trying to tell you anything otherwise either has far too little to do with their free time or is just trying to get you to click on something, probably for revenue purposes. I mean, Chris, what's going on so far at OTAs that you actually give a damn about? Uh I just care that Reed's here for a couple months, and uh, <laughs> he's, his schedule is uh, a lot easier uh, to be able to hang out with him rather than what we get in September when he's... Well, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's literally that, folks. But with that said, there are some things that I think go on during this time period that have some value, or at least are worth paying attention to as OTAs and this mandatory minicamp you know, continue. First of all... It's attendance. I think this is the, what was it, last year the only person who didn't attend was Richie Incognito. And that was because he was fucking crazy. 
Yeah, generally everybody shows up to this, which is nice. Even LaShawn McCoy with his off-the-field stuff. Showed up to work, ready to put his hard head on and get to working out and doing drills and getting back into the swing of football. Chris, how many teams right now, I mean, you look at the Browns. The Browns are supposed to be this, hey, the Browns, oh, everybody's looking at them. Everybody's talking about them. They're the big hot story in the NFL. And yet some of their best playmakers either aren't at OTAs or can't practice. And that's not a good look. I mean, so now their coaching staff has to field daily questions from reporters. Oh, OBJ's still not here, huh? What's it like trying to install your wide receiving packages? What's it like trying to coach your... And their coaches have... What are they going to say to that, Chris? That's like if I were to tell my boss, nah, I'm just not showing up today. And if I were to call off every single morning for two weeks, inevitably someone's going to come to my boss and be like, hey... Oh, what's going on here with uh, what's going on here back in the finance and accounting department? Uh, we got some stuff here that needs to be taken care of. Are we getting it done? And he'd have to shrug and go, I, we're, "We're working on it. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you, people." It's it's hilarious to me that coaches have to deal with that. I mean, they have enough shit going on. I'm really happy that once again the Bills under Sean McDermott seem to have a handle on this. Everybody that they brought in seems to have bought it. You know. Yeah, if you don't buy in, you're going to get shipped out. It's that simple. I don't know about shipped out, but I just don't think... I think that they do a good job of vetting the type of people that they're trying to bring in here. And then I think the the other thing that I'm really watching during this time period is team health and injuries. I mean, that's the most important thing. Not good. I mean, we couldn't get through our first practice without some bullshit cropping up, apparently. Remember that sweetheart deal Brandon Bean crafted for Tyler Croft? And after the draft, and after we signed uh, Lee Smith, all of the talk about, uh, oh, our tight end depth. We've got way too many tight ends. What are we going to do with all these people? Well, it looks like all of that's going to get put to the test. Because both uh, Tyler, uh, Tyler Croft and Jason Kroon went down with injuries on the very first day of OTAs. And the former is likely out for most of the preseason. He rebroke the same foot that has given him injury issues in the past. That's why when you sign injury-prone players, and I guess if there's a silver lining to this, it's that a they haven't there has the talk hasn't sounded like he's going to the IR. The talk has been he's going to have to get a procedure done, and then he'll be back at some point in a month or two. I think I saw three to four months. Okay. So that's still... September. September, October. So he's still going to be available at some point this season. And you craft that contract so that it protects you financially because after this season, we don't owe him a damn thing. We could cut him. So if he never sees the field for us, if he really can't rebound from this, long-term, we're not hurt by it. It was a flyer. The guy will make some money this year. Great. Whatever. Who else was out there, Chris, that you were going to sign at tight end? Uh, I have no idea. I would have rather taken uh, tight ends in the draft, which is what we did. Dawson Knox and uh, that other guy, well, Sweeney. And, and not only that, but then you look at the presence of, you know, the crew injury doesn't sound that serious. And you've got Lee, who, not for nothing, <laughs> Lee Smith is quietly rated one of the most efficient tight ends, not only in, in terms of blocking, but just being on the field. <laughs> He, he's a very efficient player. When you throw the ball to him on occasion, he catches it. 
And when you ask him to block, he's a mauler. And he's proven to be durable, which is why he got paid by the Raiders in the first place. So with that said, I don't think we're really in as much trouble as we think we did because they did a good job of fleshing out this tight end depth chart. I mean, with no Dawson Knox or Sweeney, Chris, we'd be scrambling to find bodies right now. And all this talk about, oh, the Bills have to trade for Kyle Rudolph now because of this injury. Those people can get fucked, okay? Plain and simple. We, we don't need to do anything. We are fine at the tight end position. Now it's up to coaching, and it's up to the medical staff to make sure that when Croft comes back, he's ready to come back. I mean, yeah, now, And now if you're low on the depth chart for tight end, now's your shot. Now you got an opportunity. So, and, and I think that that's the thing, is injuries. Injuries are what I watch most closely when it comes to these minicamp and OTA series. Nothing bothers me more than preseason injuries before a single down of meaningful football gets played. And the list of our guys who are seemingly under the weather, it's growing. So we've got Jason Kroom. I don't know if it's day to day, week to week. I don't know if he'll, I don't know if he'll practice again for OTAs. Maybe he'll wait till minicamp. But Frank Gore's been in and out. TJ Yeldon's been in and out. Cole Beasley is out, still nursing that uh, sports hernia surgery. Mitch Morse is out with sports hernia surgery. <laughs> John Brown is out of practice. Russ Bodine is out of practice. Chris, these are guys who, you know, these are guys who. Did Bodine sit out practice because he's not good? No, I th- I don't know what he's got going on. I'm not I'm not going to bother looking up the type of injuries. What I do it's know a talent is talent issue. But what I know is that guy, the guys on this list are all guys who are supposed to play a prominent role, right? Correct. So the question is, and all of them missed not well, at least one, if not multiple practices, or are practicing in a limited fashion. I'm going to keep an eye on that list because these are all guys who are supposed to contribute, or at least that we're expecting to come in and contribute this season. I don't like the fact that they're already having to be handled with kid gloves because of their health. That's definitely worth keeping an eye on. And then there's some specific players who you try to keep an eye on because, Chris, former injuries, as you want to see how they rebound, right? Correct. There's a list. Here's my short list of players I'm going to be watching. First of all, punter Corey Carter. Most people probably don't even remember the guy. But last season, he was brought in to be Colton Schmidt's training camp competition for the starting job at the punter position. The fact that after releasing Colton and then shuffling through various punters last year, what they had, Bohorquez, and then when Bohorquez got hurt... They they, went back to Colton Schmidt. They went back to Colton Schmidt. And then they went to Matt Darr. And then they cut him and got Matt Darr, and Matt Darr wasn't very good either. That's why he signed with the Jets. So now they've brought Corey Carter back. It underscores the fact that the staff sees something in this kid. And it's going to be interesting to see if he, as a punter, he can rebound from that ACL tear. If he does, I think that that position all of a sudden becomes really interesting when you look at training camp. But it's going to, you're going to have to see if he can make it through this thing healthy. Because if he's not, I mean, Chris, how many punters are out there looking for work? You can always call Colton Schmidt. <laughs> and then cornerback Teron Johnson. He surprised a lot of people last season because he had a real physical brand of play at the slot corner position. And his coverage his coverage statistics, according to Pro Football Focus, they were pretty good. Ultimately, he ends up separating his shoulder in the preseason and trying to play through it. And it just, 
you know, it's one of those nagging things. I mean, Kyle Trimble has a great piece about that injury specifically with his recovery timetable, the possibilities of recurrence and everything else over at bangedupbills.com. I mean, I, I would go check it out if you're interested in it. How he rebounds from that and how the team brings him along from that injury is going to be important to what goes on in the secondary. Because, Chris, last year we benefited from the fact that even not at 100%, he was still damn good in the slot. And I don't think we have a whole – I mean, you look at the free agent corners we brought in. They're all injury prone. Not only are they all injury prone, but most of them are, I feel like, cornerbacks who do better playing outside than they do playing inside. Teron Johnson, I think, is slated to be our guy at that position. And if he's not ready or if he can't – if he does suffer a setback with that injury, it, considering how much nickel we play – I mean, think about how many three wide receiver sets have been worked into the NFL at this point. Yeah, well, it is a passing league, so you probably see a lot of three, four wide receiver sets. Yeah. So with that said, watching his progression is going to be really interesting throughout the course of the next few weeks. Linebacker Matt Milano, another guy who was having a hell of a season. I mean, Milano was having a, a borderline Pro Bowl caliber season, we'll call it. Then he breaks his leg. Yeah, right in our end zone. That was gruesome. That was bad. It was, it was, you knew when he got hit. You're like, oh, that's broken. Well, that's broke. That's not supposed to bend like that. And you saw it on the Jumbotron for a second, and then they stopped showing it. <laughs> yeah. They made the mistake of replaying it once, and then somebody realized, oh shit, we probably shouldn't be doing this. Apparently, he sustained no ligament damage, and so because of it, his recovery should be pretty straightforward. I mean, he's out there and he's working with the team. But during the press conferences this week, which ultimately I'm not going to bring you guys any of that because there's nothing to talk about. I mean, literally Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean this time of year. I mean, if, if, you, if any of you have children and you're struggling with ways to get them to go to sleep, I'd suggest recording these press conferences and just playing them in the nursery. I guarantee you, kids will sleep through the night. That, that's how boring this is. But McDermott himself acknowledged that while he is practicing with the team, there's some rust to knock off there. <laughs> you know, he said, listen, he's gone through an offseason of rehab. He's, he's still getting back up to speed. So we do have rookie Voshan Joseph on the roster, but Milano is an integral part of our defense. Chris, he was last season's, I would argue, probably our biggest playmaker on defense. Would you think that's fair? Yeah. Him, I think the way he played also opened things up. To allow Tremaine Edmonds to do some stuff. Well, yeah, it took he some of the pressure off him. Year. And, I mean, he had a very good rookie season. So, how the... <laughs> Milano's another integral part of this defense. And we need him to be full go when the season starts. So, I'm going to be watching how they... Not only through OTAs and minicamp, but also into training camp. How they massage him back into things. Because as has been outlined a million times... Sometimes when players try to rush back from an injury, they overcompensate using other muscles, using other muscle groups that they don't normally, and that can lead to other issues. You know what I mean? I think the clear, clearest example I can give of this is Stevie Johnson. Stevie Johnson, remember when he had that groin injury? Yeah. He, had, he tore his groin, put him out for the season. After three straight thousand-yard seasons, he had a real bad groin injury. And then the, when he came back from the groin injury... He had knee problems, and then he had hamstring problems, and then more groin problems. And all it is is because if you never really get healthy again, you're always overcompensating using your other muscles. 
And that's never going to bode well, especially for soft tissue injuries like that. So it's going to be interesting to see with a, with a break, with no ligament damage, if he's going to come back from that 100%. And the last guy on this list, offensive center Mitch Morse. When you spend as much money as we did on our center, you're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that he's going to be available when things actually matter. So the fact that Morse has been limited throughout all of the you know, off-season workouts so far is absolutely fine by me. But his progress over the next week or two is going to be noteworthy. Chris, look at the guy's injury history. I mean, it's troubling, at least to me. He's missed 10 and 5 games in each of his last two seasons with concussion issues and with a foot issue that robbed him of almost an entire season. So after just watching the Croft injury, (laughs) I hope the trainers are a little more cognizant of these things. And with his recent sports hernia surgery, I hope they slow play all of his recovery. Because I don't want to see him rushed out there into drills into practices, into seven-on-seven. I want to see the guy that we're paying, what, $10 million a year? I want to see that guy brought along slowly so that when we get him back, he's here for a while. Well, when are other NFL coaches going to follow in the footsteps of Sean McVay? McVay didn't play any of his top guys in preseason last year. That's true. And even, even... College players, I mean, Alabama's going to be, what, in the kickoff game? Yeah. Do they have a, a preseason? <laughs> no. no. They just go first game, a major game, rather. So why can't we do that in the NFL? I don't know. And and, well, and that's been the player's argument for a long time, is that this preseason process and the preseason games themselves, it's have, harder for you to field the competitive team week one when you have to go beat your players up for four weeks ahead of time. Yeah, why can't you just do what McVay does? He doesn't play his his starters. I don't know. It's and that's and that's an interesting philosophy point. But ultimately, guys, these are the things. I mean, literally OTAs, minicamp. What are they doing? They're installing some offensive plays. But if you're in the room and you're an NFL professional, I assume you have the aptitude to absorb these things without being out there actually running around. There's no contact allowed. None. So with that, what are you actually working on in the trenches? Probably not a whole lot except for footwork. No, all, all, I think all... Footwork and communication, that's probably it. Well, all you're doing is learning, if you're new here, rookie or you know a free agent, you're just learning all of like the code words that uh, are with you, whether it's offense or defense, and learning the lingo is really what this time time is. It's not, it's not, you know what you do on the field, you're learning the playbook. And then you apply that in August and September going forward once we get to training camp. Well, absolutely. And that's, I guess, what it is, folks. I urge you all out there listening to this podcast right now. Try not... Wow, someone just screamed outside. That was pretty great. Yeah. Podcasting with the windows open is great. Remember when we used to get the the, the police sirens? Yeah, when we were old school, when we recorded (laughs) at your apartment... Depew, the police, the Pew police department just come zooming by because there's another drug deal going down in your neighborhood. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I plead the fifth. But anyways, I urge everybody out there listening to this podcast: do not, do not, for your own sanity, get caught up in the nuance of day-to-day OTA reports. Don't do it to yourselves. I'm not going to be paying attention to it. I'm going to be over here drinking beer, playing softball. 
breaking things and trying to fix them <laughs> around my house. That's what I'm going to spend the next two weeks doing and probably the better part of the next two months doing because a lot of what's going to come out between now and then is nonsense. It's filler. Except for our podcast, obviously. <laughs> We're going to do what we can to bring you guys some of the best content that we, we can find over the course of the next few weeks. We're going to have a lot of guests. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a great time. Yeah, I think the week of the week of June 10th will be our next podcast. My uh, family's coming in the first full week in June, so we're not going to be recording. That's two weeks from now, so we won't be recording because of that. Got to spend time with the family while while they're here. I tried to and, encourage- and you'll you'll probably want to hang out with my mom. <laughs> Chris's mom, folks. Woo! In any event, in any event. Folks, stick with us. It's going to be a great summer. We're going to have some interesting content for you. And please do not beat yourselves up over this OTA and mini. Save yourself, save yourself the time and the sanity. Don't get caught up in the minutiae of it. Just everybody take a deep breath and relax. Yeah, goose fraba. Goose fraba. Play some golf. Hang out with your kids. Go sit on the deck and read a book. I don't know. Just find something other to do than trolling through videos of guys in shorts making plays against air. Okay. Don't do it to yourselves. Guys, with that said, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Chris, anything we have to tell the people? Anything we're here to promote? Well, we are going to be getting on uh, Rams Talk in the next hour. So whenever that gets released, we'll let you know. Drew's going to go on a Rams podcast and probably just repeat everything that you just listened to. No, probably not. It's probably going to be a lot worse than that. (laughs) (laughs) Guys... Thank you so much for showing up tonight. I know it got a little emotional there at the beginning, but uh, all this means a lot to me. And there's a lot of people that I've gotten a chance to meet throughout the process of doing a show that you take something away from. And I try to take something away from everybody that I've crossed paths with. Ezra Castro was a good man. And I think that just as a person, not the super fan, not the personality, just the guy. And there's a lot to be taken away from that. And I think that just as a fan base, as as a fan base, we were lucky to get to share this thing with a guy like him. Guys, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger, and thank you all for showing up here for another episode of the Rock Pile Report podcast.